You're listening to audio from the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regenerate, visit rivercitychurch.us. All right. So, um, so last week um, we were last week we read out of Mark chapter ten, and uh, we discussed how uh, basically last week we discussed how. Jesus was, um, well, Jesus interacted with a lot of different people. We talked about Jesus healing. Um, there, was a, there was a boy who was demonized. There was the, there was the dad who was, uh, you know, before that, we, we, had, we had the dad who was really struggling. We, we went through that story who was, going, was struggling with unbelief. And then in chapter 10, um, we read about Jesus uh, teaching on divorce, and then he talks about children. And then he had the rich young ruler. If you remember this last week, there was this rich guy who came and talked to Jesus. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, sell everything that you have, give it away, and then come follow me. He was disheartened. He went away sad. And so now uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. Before I get started, though, how many of you can think of right now one person? How many of you can think of one person who can make you really angry? Like, immediately. Like, you don't have a problem figuring it out. Like, there's one person who can really get you going. Just like, yep, that being, uh, being around that person makes, <laughs> makes me angry. Raise your hand if it's a sibling. All right. All right. So yes. Okay. Maybe you have a friend. Does anybody have a friend that you need? Okay. You're going to need to talk to that friend right after this. If you raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, sort of kidding. Maybe, maybe you do need to talk to somebody. I don't know. But anyway, we all have, there's always somebody who's, who makes us angry. And and it's kind of interesting because in the Bible, you know, when we think about Jesus, like most of the pictures of Jesus are like very meek and mild. For some reason, he's white, which is not true and needs to be erased from our history books. He was not white. He was from the Middle East. He was Jewish. And Jesus uh, is always portrayed as this guy who's he's very kind, you know, which is true. He was. He was also somebody who is very loving, which is true, and peaceful, which is true. All those things are true. But one of the things that we never talk about is Jesus having emotions that we perceive as negative, like being angry, for instance. So like being angry is not something that's like uh, viewed as positive in any regard because most of the time, like that's why they have things like anger management, right? How many of you are in anger? Man- Just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Like how many of you are in therapy right now? Um, so maybe like anger management is a thing that people go through. Um, there's, we're, we always trying to figure out ways to deal with our repressed anger. And, and if you're studying psychology here, then, you know, it's like, oh, well, there's all these things that happened in your childhood and Freudian psychology says this and then, and then uh, positive psychology and Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and all these things. Like it's all figuring out, like, basically it's like getting to the root of what, what is it that makes you angry? Because when you're angry, you're like the Hulk, right? And you're like, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry and you do things that you regret. Well, what's crazy about Jesus though is this. This, this whole time we've been reading the Gospel of Mark, which is the oldest account that we have of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in that account, Jesus actually gets angry. Um, we, this is actually a very important story. It was so important that all four of the Gospel witnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all include this story. So we're getting to the point where Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem. And I want you to keep in mind where we're at in the story. Jesus has amassed a huge following. He's been performing miracles. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. Lots of people are very interested in him, but at this and at this point, though his disciples have some very big assumptions about Jesus. They assume that he's going to overthrow the military powers in Jerusalem. They assume that he's going to establish a literal kingdom on earth. They assume that he is going to, in a military and political way, bring about God's kingdom on earth. However, 
This cannot, this is not what Jesus has in mind. And he actually has to rebuke one of his disciples earlier for saying that he should, when he tells his disciples that he's going to suffer and die, one of his disciples, Peter, is like, no way! And then he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand what you're talking about. So now, chapter 11, they're getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. Or they've been getting closer and closer. And everything is drawing towards this climax. And this is really cool because as we're getting closer to Easter, right now we're in the first week of Lent in the, in the Christian tradition. So at this time, we begin to look forward to Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. And so he comes to the holy city. Now, you have to recognize something about Jerusalem. It is the biggest city for miles around. This is 2,000 years ago in what is now Palestine. Jerusalem's still there. Uh, it's still a city. Um, they find new kind of archaeological things all the time. So all you, uh, they find them there every, every year. So all you nerds, if you're like really into like archaeology or whatever, uh, and you want to be in the next Indiana Jones, go to Jerusalem. There's lots of cool stuff there. Very old city. Very important city for many different reasons. At least three major religions consider it a holy city. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So it is a very, very important place. Now, in Jesus' time, 2,000 years ago, it was, um, it was uh, walled, a, a large walled-in city. It also was home to the temple. Now, this is something that's going to be very, very important for us going forward to understand. The temple was the mightiest structure in that area at that time. King Herod, who had the temple built, um, was uh, obsessed with himself. And so he, he saw him, and he wanted to fashion himself as a sort of savior of the Jewish people. So he built the temple, and he even put his name on each of the bricks. That he, that he built the wow. temple with. So he was pretty obsessed with himself. They show up here, and, they're walk, and so when they walk into the temple, there was, like a, there was a series of courts. And so if you were not Jewish, you could go to the outer court, and you could walk in there, and, they, and you could uh, participate, at least in a distant way, with what God was doing in the temple. Um, second, but then, also, then there was the women's court, uh, where if you were a woman, you could draw so near to the presence of God. But then there was uh, the Jewish court, which was inside of that, and then there was the priestly court, which was inside of that. So it's like the closer you got to the place where God's presence was supposed to be, the more of a, I guess, Jewish man you had to be. <laughs> but um, basically, this is the building that was huge. It was huge. And we, we don't actually fully understand it. If you go to Jerusalem now, the only thing that you'll find left of it is the, a piece of the foundation, which is called the Wailing Wall. More on that later. But the point is this. It was this massive structure. And uh, so if anything was going to happen, if Jesus was actually going to make a difference in his time and in his culture, he had to go to Jerusalem. He had to. This was the place to go. And so his disciples were certain that when he got to Jerusalem, they're like, yes, this is when we're going to take over. And even two of his disciples, James and John, even asked him on the way out. They're like, hey, Jesus, but can you do for us whatever we want you to, well, whatever we want you to do? And he's like, what do you want me to do? He's like, they're like, if you're Batman, can we be Robin? <laughs> but, but like, so when you're in charge, like when you obviously overthrow Rome and you start a revolution and everything and you build a new government and everything, can we sit at your right hand? And he says, you don't understand what you're asking, do you? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they're like, sure, whatever that means. Like, sure. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Sure. Whatever, you, whatever you're drinking, we'll have it. Like, no big deal. He's like, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. That's true. He was prophesying about what would happen to them in the future. But then he said, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. I, he's like, I actually don't know. The Father hasn't told me anything about that. So, sorry, guys. And then he goes on to teach them that authority works differently in the kingdom of God. It is not about being the best or being the most powerful. That is what the world teaches. And finally... Uh, so if I, he has to teach them a lesson in humility. 
They come to Jericho and he heals a blind man who joins them. It's an amazing story as well in its own right. But now Jesus is entering Jerusalem and it's awesome because he rides up on a horse. Sorry, not a horse, uh, a camel. Nope, not a camel. He chooses a donkey, right? <laughs> he rides up on a donkey, which was a symbolic gesture, both of his descendant from uh, his, uh, his ancestor, David, and also a picture of his kingship um, and his humility at the same time. He goes into Jerusalem. He's riding on the back of a donkey. And so many people are excited to see him that they're waving branches and they're throwing their cloaks on the road. And they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. They're like, this is it. This is the, the ultimate. This is the world tour. He is showing up in town. It's going to be amazing. There's going to be lights. He's going to start a revolution. And it's all. And Rome is finally going to be over. And all of us colonized, oppressed people are finally going to get what we wanted. So he goes through, but then it says he looks around at the temple and he goes home. Then he comes back the next day and he curses a fig tree on the way. Fun little episode, which you should read, um, but we're not going to do that today. He curses a fig tree on the way for not having fruit on it, which seems like a little harsh because like, it wasn't the season for figs, Jesus. He's like, I don't care. I'm mad at this tree. Anyway, and that brings us to Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. So if you have a Bible, open it up and read verses 15 through 19 of Mark 11. Anybody wants to borrow one? You can borrow this. It's pretty tattered, but anybody want one? Anybody want to borrow want to, want to borrow mine? Okay, it's pretty tattered, but you know it's pretty beat up. There you go. So Mark chapter eleven verses fifteen through nineteen says this. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. This is God's word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and speak to us, to meet us in this place as we're gathered together. Uh, we want to learn, but also, God, we just we want to be impacted and we want to be changed by what the gospel means. So, Lord, let me teach the way you want me to teach. Let me preach the way you want me to preach. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody who trusts in Jesus said... So here's the, so Jesus gets angry at this point. He enters the temple. Presumably, this is the Gentile court, the outer court of the temple. So there's walls, and there's like a hard you know, um, stone pavement there. And in this place, uh, what, we, what commentators tell us is that they used to, the, the, at this time, it's Passover, okay? So this is a very important time. Every year, the Jewish people come up to Jerusalem, for Passover. They would celebrate this. They would sacrifice animals. And it was a big deal. It was a big deal. So Jesus shows up for Passover with his disciples, right? And when they show up, what's interesting is that uh, he's, he's looking around and he sees all these people doing all this stuff. It's, it's full of busyness. And they're selling stuff. And Jesus gets livid. And all of a sudden flips a switch and he goes from, hey, everybody, the least, it's the least in the kingdom of God that are going to be the greatest to, Dah! and he's like throwing over tables and like, like tossing stuff, toss, tossing chairs. He's going full WWE and everybody's like, what is happening? What happened to, J I'm sure his disciples are kind of like, whoa, whoa, everybody stand back. Just let him do his thing. Like, I don't know what's going on, but this is not the Jesus I'm used to. 
Jesus freaks out. He did, and then he's, he drives them out. And Mark is the only one out of the four Gospels who mentions this, that he would not allow anyone to carry anything going through the temple. And he started to use this as a teaching moment. Here's the one, and now this is the, this is the thing about Jesus. We believe that Jesus was not just a man. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a miracle worker. The Bible teaches that Jesus was God in the flesh. And so because of that, what he says is very remarkable. He begins to quote scripture. He begins to tell people, what are you doing selling things and making money in this place? This is the house of God. You know, what are you doing? And this is the one thing I want you to keep in mind. In fact, if there's, there's one point you want, I can, I can leave you with tonight, it's this. Jesus, why is Jesus angry? Because I was thinking about this and praying about this, and I was going, God, whenever I think about anger, I can't picture you being angry because the only context I have for angry, anger is when somebody has done something to hurt me. And so in self-defense, I lash out at somebody else, or I will do, and, and I'll be the first to say, like, I didn't think I was, an, I never thought I was an angry person. And then I got married. And then I found out that I actually was more angry than I thought. <laughs> and that when somebody gets really close to me and suddenly is sharing life with me, that became a point of, uh, of, uh, of confrontation and conflict that I didn't have before. Before that, I had brothers and we were pretty tight and we fought and stuff, you know, and like, you know, I feel really bad for some of the things I said to my brothers, but I mean, whatever, you know, like we're siblings, we're still, it's not, we're going to stop being brothers, you know? So, um, that's, and that's not the point, though. The point is the context for anger that we have is usually based in us being hurt. And so it's really self-centered and self-focused. Jesus is angry here, but he's not the kind of angry that we expect. He's not self-focused. In fact, I want to submit this to you tonight. This is the big point. If you remember anything tonight, remember this. Jesus is jealous for you. Jesus is jealous for you. So now we know that God is jealous, a jealous God. In Deuteronomy um, 4.24, when he spoke to, the, to Moses, the prophet, he said, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And he was telling them this. He's saying, this is in the Old Testament, thousands, uh, like 1,400 years before Christ. And God is telling the Israelites, I don't want you to worship any other gods or make any other idols. I want you to worship me and me only. I am the only God there is. And I am jealous. I will not share you with somebody else. There is no room for anybody else in this house except for me and you. That's what God is saying to his people. So we know that God the Father is jealous, but but I think we can actually we 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 like sort of attribute like anger and some of those negative emotions to God the Father, right? When we think of the God of Christianity, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit, we don't even know. He's just like a he's like the force. We don't even understand that. And then and then God the Son, well, we know he's nice and he's like in a lot of pictures with like sheep and stuff for some reason because Jesus cared for sheep at some point in his life. No, not really. But um, we see him in the in the paintings and he seems very like like this. This does not seem to be angry. It seems to be more like I don't know, not all there. But this is the this is the pose of Jesus, right? in the old European paintings. But Jesus is always associated with love and peace. Then there's the Father, and you're like, oh, he's the angry one. <laughs> like he just wants to pour out wrath on the earth and stuff. But keep this in mind that Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So God doesn't change. His nature doesn't change. God was jealous for his people then. He is jealous for his people now, and he will always be jealous for his people. He wants to be the number one thing. Now, how does this relate to what Jesus did? Well, what about the Son? What about the Spirit? Do they experience anger and emotions? Yes, they do. 
And that's clear from what Jesus went through here. Now it says that he's, he's uh, he, when he entered into the temple, the thing about it is that he, he, was, uh, he drove out those who sold and those who bought. So he didn't just drive out anybody. He drove out those who sold and those who bought. In other words, the people who are ruining something sacred by trying to make a buck off of it. I don't know how much, how much uh, some of you guys may not have been raised in American culture, right? But this culture is probably the least sacred culture, maybe ever, I don't know. And it's really easy to tell when a culture believes in things that are sacred because of the rituals that are associated with your culture. So for instance, what does your culture believe about death, right? What are the traditions and rituals that your culture goes through when someone dies? That tells you a great deal about it. And I will tell you, let me, let me explain to you the American funeral, okay? Um, so this is the basic American funeral. Oh my gosh, grandma died. We're all so sad. We go to church. The preacher preaches a nice message. And then we cry about it for a little bit, but we're not quite sure if we can really let loose and like really cry about grandma. We'll just kind of <laughs> try to hold it together for like an hour. They'll put her in the ground. Maybe we'll throw some dirt on the grave or whatever like that. And then they'll, and then they'll cover it up. And then we like cry a little bit and we go home. And then we try to just move on with our lives. Why? Because there's work to be done and money to be made. And Burying grandma is inefficient. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that we don't care about the dead or we don't care about our rituals, but that's kind of a North American mindset. My wife is Native American. And when I found out that it took her like a, a funeral, a traditional funeral in the Washington religion took like three full days of like drums and dancing and meals and body viewing and all this kind of all these things that were components of it. I was like, whoa, like I remember. And then I remember when I was a recruiter working for LCSC, I talked to a friend of mine who is Mexican and he was like, I told him about, yeah, dude, I went to this funeral with my wife and she's Native American and their funerals take like three days. And he was just kind of like, oh, yeah, that's and kind of shrugged. And I was like, dude, that's like he kind of and then he looked at me and he's like, what, dude, are, are like white people funerals like super short or something? And I was like, yes, dude, they are. He's like, dude, I was like, dude, they take like a couple hours. He's like, bro, Mexican funerals are a week. I was like, no way. He's like, yes, wait, because you got to do like a special mass. And then there's like a dinner. And then there's like a whole thing where the extended family comes. And then there's like a whole Catholic thing. And then you got to put the body in a train and it goes down to Mexico. And then the whole family does it again, bro. I was like, no way. I was like, dude. We don't respect anything in our culture about death. And this is the thing. We're not a sacred culture. Like even the holidays we have, right? Christmas is, what's the point of Christmas? I can get stuff. If I've been a good boy or a good girl this year, I'll get presents. We've, we've hijacked Easter. We're like, what's Easter about? A bunny with eggs and there's stuff in the eggs and you can get candy. Some of you guys are like, what on earth are you talking about? It's an American thing, right? It's about, it's about all that. Yeah. It's about all this stuff besides Jesus. We've even hijacked, like, my daughter's losing her teeth right now. We, we even, like, make that a consumeristic enterprise. Hey, kid, take your tooth. Put it under the pillow. You might get money. Do <laughs> you guys know about the tooth? Does everyone here know about the tooth fairy? It's a thing. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> we've, we consumerized everything. And Jesus is not about that. He walks into the temple and he's like, what are y'all doing? Why are you taking something sacred and making it something where you can make money? Are you kidding me? And he just snaps. And then he takes tables and he's throwing their stuff. And you're like, Jesus, I'm pretty sure you could get like arrested for that. Somehow, that's maybe that's the real miracle in this whole passage. Jesus doesn't get arrested. I'm sure that there are people there who are like, what are you doing, bro? But he's like, get out! 
Take your chair. Take your table. Get your pigeons out of here. Get, because now why, what are they selling? They're selling animals for Jewish people to make sacrifices. Now, we know that people had to pay a temple tax according to uh, Exodus 30, verse 13, I believe it is. They had to pay a shekel, which is a measurement of silver that had to go to the temple. And it was to support the temple, and this was, and this was normal. Not only that, but if you didn't have an animal to sacrifice at Passover, you needed to buy one. And these animals had to meet certain regulations. And so people figured out really quickly, hey, I can make money if I raise pigeons or lambs or goats or whatever that meet the requirements for Passover. I can make some sweet money real quick. And we're all about that. It's like hashtag work from home, right? That is, that's what they're doing. And Jesus isn't about it, but he's jealous. Now, here's what I mean when I say Jesus is jealous for you. He's angry, but he's angry for the right reasons. He hates profit at the expense of sincere worshipers. Can I tell you something? A lot of Christians have, spent a, have done a terrible job with money, and we have done a terrible job with how we teach people um, what the gospel is. I don't know about you. Have you ever seen anybody on TV telling you that if you give like $10,000 or everything, God's going to bless you, and you're going to, he's going to open up the heavens on you. He's going to rain down blessing on And I don't know why they're always from the South, but he's going to rain down blessing on you. Hallelujah. I feel somebody's got a faith seat of $4,000. By the way, I need to buy a G6 next week. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's these people who are making money off of sincere worshipers who are honestly buying that and going, Oh my gosh, I should do this because I want to bless this person and I want the gospel to go out and I want people to believe in Jesus like I do. And then they take advantage of that. Jesus, can I say something? Jesus hates that. He hates it when religious people take his faith and use it to rip off other people. And so it says, and then it tell, and then he begins stopping people who are going through the temple with their stuff. He says he literally, the word is <laughs> dianekre. It's a, it only occurs 13 times in the New Testament, notably um, in a few different places. But um, it's, it has to do with the idea of value, of differentiating between things. But it, literally it just means to carry through. And so these people are carrying stuff through, through a place that's supposed to be holy. And Jesus is like, get out of here. This is not for you to just walk through here and just, you know, this is not for you to be on your TikTok and try to get a sweet selfie. This is not for you. This is for God. Do you understand what this is for? And it's really interesting that idolatry is really easy to normalize, especially in a spiritual setting. So these people are, well, it's just like, this is like just church and it's just normal. Yeah, well, just normal is not sacred and this is supposed to be sacred. This is the interest. I, I think sometimes we actually have done ourselves a disservice by trying to make Jesus more, like less sacred and more human. Um, and sometimes we do ourselves a disservice of going, oh, there's nothing about him that appreciated what was sacred. No, Jesus, Jesus actually was the fulfillment of the law. And because he was the fulfillment of the law, he was passionate about it. He wanted, he wanted to absolutely fulfill this. But here's, here's what's amazing. He said, he said this. He was longing for their prayer. He said that, I want this place to be a place of prayer for the nations. Now, he was speaking not of his own accord, but he was actually speaking out of Isaiah 56, 7. What he's, the, this is why I'm saying Jesus is jealous for you. What is he angry about? He's not angry because his feelings have been hurt. He's angry because the temple was supposed to be a place where Jew and Gentile would one day come. It didn't matter what background you were from, what, what, you, what gender you were. It didn't matter any of that stuff. 
anybody could come into the temple and worship God as they saw fit, but he saw this as an obstruction to that. You guys, by charging people money in order to get in here, or by charging people money to buy tickets to get into the temple, are ruining something. This is supposed to be a place of prayer. This is supposed to be a place where people can connect with God, and you are not building a bridge. You're cutting it down. So he's, ups- he's not upset about the letter of the law, he's de- but the spirit. He desires what God envisions for his temple. This is what it says in Isaiah 56, 7. He's quote, he is an Old Testament prophet. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And then he says, you took God's house and you turned it into a den of robbers. Now, I, that's kind of weak to me. It's more like a hideout for thieves. Like you turned this place into a drug lord's house. That's what you have done to this place. So now this is the thing. And this is where the religious elite got really angry at Jesus. Jesus was passionate for people. He wanted people to get access to God. And anything that stops people from having access to God, Jesus hated and wanted out of the way. Religious people just wanted to make money. And you can bet that these people knew what was going on. Because um, one commentator said this, the price of a pair of doves, right? A dove was the smallest animal you could buy for a sacrifice. A price of a pair of doves inside inside the temple could be as much as 15 times the price that might be paid outside. They would add these taxes and, oh, you have to change over your money too because I can't, it's like, hey, I came from Egypt. Oh, we got a, there's a currency exchange rate. Sorry, like you lost some money. And so they would change people's money and they would keep a lot of money. It was sheer imposition. But what made matters worse was that this business of buying and selling belonged to the family of, get this, Annas who had been the high priest. The Jews themselves were well aware of this abuse. That was William Barclay. And, um, uh, they knew that they were ripping people off. And it was funny because the religious people are going around going, oh yes, I'm so religious and everything. and I'm so great. And uh, I know I have so many likes on Instagram and on Facebook and stuff. And I put out lots of cool videos and everything. And everybody seems to like me and I'm a cool celebrity pastor. Also, I happen to be making millions off of ripping people off through the stuff that I'm selling. And then Jesus comes and he disrupts my whole system. See, powerful people don't really like Jesus. They don't because they fear him. They misunderstand him because powerful people like the high priest family were used to being able to use people. Oh, I can, we can use this person. We can use him as leverage. And Jesus, hear me, Jesus will not be used for an agenda. He will not. He will not be used for promoting Christian nationalism. He will not be used for promoting some kind of political agenda. He will not be used for promoting some kind of religious agenda. He is who he is, and he speaks for himself. So they fear him because he can't be used. And then also on top of that, everybody else likes him. And they're like, people used to like us, man. People used to like us. And they're angry for the wrong reasons because they're angry because they got hurt because their system got broken into. Suckers. Jesus. And now what's interesting is they're, they're looking at Jesus and they're like, wow, he comes in, he wrecks the place. And then I love this. He's just free to go. It says when evening came, they left the city <laughs> and, and, the, and the Pharisees and scri- the scribes are looking at everything going, looking at the wreckage going, who's going to pay for all this? And if I was there, I'd probably be like, I don't know, maybe uh, you guys <laughs> like you got the money, yo, <laughs> you know, so. These guys, what Jesus did is disrupted an entire system. Jesus hates systems that stand in the way of people getting to know God. You know why? Because he's jealous for you. 
He does not care what your background is or where you come from. Jesus wants you. He wants you so badly. He was willing to not only, and this is the thing, Jesus was not only willing to go into the temple to disrupt the systems that kept people from getting there. He was ultimately willing to dis, to dismantle, to not just dismantle that, but to fulfill the entire law. And in the end, at the end of Mark, we're going to see an amazing moment where when Jesus died, this entire system just went away because the curtain was torn from top to bottom. No more sacrifices were necessary because as it says in Hebrews, he became the one sacrifice for all people everywhere. So that way his people could become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is where all nations could come together under the banner of Christ and say, I'm here to worship God today for free. That's the good news. Jesus comes to disrupt systems that keep people from God because he loves you and he's jealous for you. And he will not let your heart be stolen by something that's not him. Amen. That's why Jesus got angry. So here's the question for you today. Where do you see the good news in this passage? Number two, though, do you ever feel emotional or even angry over things that God finds, uh, that God feels deeply emotional or angry about? And also, why is it hard to accept God as being angry? (laughs) Why is it hard to accept that? So let's let's talk about that. And so we can kind of circle up here and talk about it. And then uh, also, how can we pray for one another or help one another this week? So let's go ahead and break up into our groups and do that. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Regenerate Podcast. And if you enjoyed our content, please feel free to subscribe. If you have any questions or would like to send us feedback, send us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Regenerate, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.